is the Normal Guy Lazy Eye Podcast, a true eye-opening experience. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Normal Guy Lazy Eye Podcast presented by House Enterprise. As always, I'm your host, Jared Magazine, your neighborly normal guy with a lazy eye, here chatting with people with incredible stories. And this week, this this might be one of the funniest types of titles of an individual and I guess an introduction of an individual that I've ever had on the show because we have Chris Robertson and Chris Robertson is the director of product partnerships at Virgin Pulse. But in his free time, he's also a world record beer miler and co-host of the beer mile podcast. You heard me right. Everyone's two favorite things or maybe one favorite thing and one least favorite thing, beer chugging and running, you decide which is your favorite and which is your least favorite. Chris Robertson is a world record holder in the uh, beer two mile and as well as an American record holder in the beer mile. And this interview is a lot to do with having fun outside of corporate life. And I think just in my past experiences in hosting this podcast, this is a perfect example. Chris has a full-time job. He's managing a lot of people, uh, a big team at Virgin Pulse, all while trying to connect with brands that have to do with health and wellness to fall under the Virgin Pulse umbrella. But hey, who doesn't love a nice cold one while running around the track? Well, Chris is a world-class athlete. He just came off the Pikes Pikes Peak Marathon, and he's here today to share more of his story. Please enjoy the one and only and very talented Chris Robertson. Well, everyone, we've had some very unique people on this show. That's no question. And today is no different. We're excited to welcome on Chris Robertson. By day, Chris is the director of product partnerships at Virgin Plus, responsible for accelerating the build out of Virgin Pulse's global partner ecosystem to represent the most innovative and successful companies in health and well-being. On the other hand, Chris is one of the most talented runners that I have ever seen. Why, you may ask? Well, Chris is currently the American record holder in the beer mile, world record holder in the beer two mile, as well as the world record holder in the chunder mile. Now we'll get to all that in just a second. Chris is also the co-host of the Beer Mile podcast, interviewing today's top runners. So it's safe to say we have a lot to talk about. So Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you for so thank you so much for coming on. How are you? I am doing well. That is a hell of an intro. I uh, really appreciate that. Kind of, kind of showing both of my sides of you know yes. corporate, corporate slave. You could say during the day, and then I don't even know what you'd call me the rest of the day. But, but yeah, no, I'm honored to be here, and I'm glad that this worked out. I, I'm really excited to talk to you. Yeah, me too. And like, I, I did want to touch on the fact that you're doing a little bit of the best of both worlds here. Full time yeah. job. You like obviously have a have a you know uh, something to do with corporate America every single day. But at the end of the day, you know, you still have your passions, you still have your projects that you're doing on the other end. And then on top of that, you're a world-class athlete. So, I mean, we're going to get to everything here. I guess, could you start maybe and give us a little insight of what you're up to right now? Where are you right now? And what are you training for? Because you have a big test coming up here soon. Yeah, definitely. I am currently right in the middle of Durango, Colorado and Silverton, Colorado, just staying in at Airbnb, uh, spending the entire summer traveling around Colorado to different areas, basically just hiking slash running as many mountains as I can in preparation for the Pikes Peak Marathon, uh, which is August 22nd, I think, Mm -hmm. if my memory serves me correctly. Uh, So 
at the time of this recording, we are less than two weeks out, getting very close to the Pikes Peak Marathon. So yeah, I... Uh, the last six years now, six plus years since I graduated college have been, you know, working nonstop, have never been, uh, you know, in between jobs or without a job, have always been working really hard, working on my career. And so my wife and I both, you know, with COVID, as many people have struggled, we both said, hey, let's see if we can get a leave of absence, take a sabbatical from work, take advantage of it if we can do it. And we both love Colorado. We love the outdoors. And so we wanted to just spend the summer here, really kind of just uh, disconnect from everything. Although I'm not disconnecting at all from beer mile podcast, beer mile stuff, but disconnect from our full-time jobs and, uh, yeah. And, and just, just really enjoy the summer. So that's what I'm up to right now. Uh, returning at the end of August, that stint will be over. I'll be back in Chicago and we'll be re rejoining the workforce full-time as well as of course, maintaining the, the athlete piece and the beer mile piece. Yeah. And so let's talk a little bit about the Pikes Peak Marathon because, you know, it's not your traditional marathon. And I think when someone says marathon, you think of the quintessential New York City Marathon, Boston Marathon, Chicago Marathon, what have you. This one's obviously a little bit different and and based on where you are and where you're training, I think people can start to pick up on that. But can you talk a little bit about what specifically is different about the Pikes Peak Marathon? Yeah. So Pikes Peak is uh, one of the, you know, tallest mountains in Colorado, it's, it's over 14,000 feet. And so this marathon actually just follows, there's a trail that goes to the top of the mountain. It's 13 miles. Basically it ends up being a perfect half marathon each way. So you start in downtown Manitou Springs, Colorado, you run up the mountain and it's, I don't remember what the exact elevation is seven to 8,000 feet of elevation gain, uh, throughout. And then the last half marathon, you get to just basically gun it back down the mountain. So I have never done a trail race. I, I ran cross country growing up and, and feel, and have run a lot of trails and have enjoyed running trails, but I've never run a trail race. And compared to a road marathon, it's a good, well, we'll see, I guess we'll find out for sure, but it's at least, at least an hour and 20 minutes more, maybe two hours more. It just depends on where your strengths are, but yeah, versus like, if you're looking at my 220 ish road marathon, this I'm kind of looking at maybe four ish hours. So it's in my mind, it's kind of like running an ultra, honestly, because of the amount of time that I'm going to be out there almost double what the road marathon is. Right. And I mean, like anyone that's ever run any stint of elevation knows that it's going to hinder your, your speed. And like, obviously it's, it's, it's like, we've put it as, bluntly as like breathing through a coffee straw really when you're running and and trying to or even like you know like I used to swim so swimming at altitude was as like just as bad too like that to me when you said an hour to two hour like I'm thinking if I could even just cross the finish line at a Pikes Peak Marathon with 7,800 feet of elevation I'd be happy (laughs) believe me if I were if I were coming from Chicago like say the week before the race and doing it I would my expectations would be something like I'm gonna add three hours to my yeah. time because it is so much of it is the altitude and getting used to just climbing, uh, which I kind of said, you know, the only reason I'm really doing this marathon is because I got the leave of absence from work. Uh, I, I don't think, I, I mean, I, it was kind of on my bucket list. I maybe would have done it anyway, living in Chicago, but it wouldn't have got, it wouldn't have gone well. I wouldn't have had any sort of goals in mind. It wouldn't have been pretty because yeah, you, you really do have to spend the time just acclimating to the altitude in order to set yourself up to even do something decent uh, on race day. And I think even too, like everyone thinks of the challenge being running uphill, but I'm thinking like running down mountain is going to be almost as difficult. Obviously the elevation gains not there, but you're running from some pretty steep Hills. It's not like, you know, your casual run down your driveway. It's a little bit, you know, like a light incline, a nice little pickup. It's like 
full full blown sliding down almost. Oh, I, I won't be walking for a week afterwards. I can almost guarantee it. If, if in a road marathon, I need like a week of my quads killing me up and down stairs. I can only imagine what this is going to be. I'm trying not to think about it, but yeah, it's, it. it is certainly going to hurt uh, for quite a while afterwards. And also that's also assuming that I don't fall. I'm hoping that right. I don't fall and break a wrist or break a collarbone or who knows what could happen. Well, best of luck. And by the time this airs, you'll probably be across the, you'll you'll definitely be across the finish line. All Um, right. Wishing you the best of luck there. While we're on the topic of marathons, though, I wanted to just touch on this. You know, we had uh, uh, Kipchoge just won gold medal at the Olympics, uh, third third man in history to ever win back to back. He's also very well known as the only person to ever do an under two hours marathon. Now your best is 224. I looked it up on the website. Can you talk a little bit about like just the leg mm-hmm. speed of that and like that sheer like speed of sub five minute uh, five minute mile pace to win a marathon, Olympic gold, etc. But I mean, like I guess just kind of like some tips on trying to keep your head in the race, something like that. Yeah, the marathon is really kind of a crazy uh, distance because like Kipchoge to myself is basically light years away even though like some people and and this is very common like people will say what's your mile pr and like you'll say 410 and then they're like oh you're so close to a four minute mile and it's like well kind of not really if uh you know it's actually a long ways and similar there where you say oh i'm in the 220s for a marathon they're like oh you're really close to the two-hour marathon it's like no i'm not close to the marathon at all so what kipchoge is doing is absolutely nuts not only the consistency but the speed and i mean i God, what for his like 430 something per mile pace. So yeah, I could hang with him for two miles and that's it. Two miles of 26. So it's absolutely nuts. Um, And, you know, I, I feel like I'm not even like, it's, it's so interesting. Like you, you, you're in your own world kind of, and people see you and compare you to your, to themselves. And they're like, wow, you're so, you're so fast compared to me. And then I, see myself as terrible at the marathon. And I'm like, man, all these guys that I have on my podcast or that I have gotten to know, or even just other uh, tons of guys in Chicago, they can all smoke me in a marathon. So right. it's, it, the, the, it's, a, it's a, such an interesting uh, distance because the, the variation is so great as well as you only get like one or two shots to do it a year. And if you're just not having a good day, you could be a 20 to 30 minute swing from what you could be maybe on a good day if you had uh, felt a hundred percent. Yeah, it's it's something that is daunting. Nonetheless, everyone kind of thinks it's like the marathon is like the ultimate test of strength and endurance. I myself am running my first one come the end of October. Yep. My goal time is sub three forty five, and like everyone said that if you can get under four hours as an as you're like an average runner, novice runner, that's pretty good. Like, do you have tips for a first time marathoner to Ooh. get to that goal time of sub four hours? I I think the main thing I would say is don't go into it assuming you can bank time and don't get uh, impatient because the first couple marathons I did, I had this time goal in mind and I I knew fitness wise that I could run it uh, on the right day, but I would always at least start at that pace or even slightly faster and kind of think, oh, I'm going to bank time. I'll be good to go. And that's, that is always the wrong strategy in a marathon. So I think the main, the main advice I would have for anyone starting out is just to really be patient the first time. And you can make up a lot of time the second half marathon if you're feeling good, but you can never bank time in that first half marathon. That's always a bad strategy. So 
starting off like slightly slower than your goal pace, at least for just a couple miles, even if it's just for a couple miles and then kind of get into the rhythm and hit that goal pace. I think that's the best advice that I can have is I, it took me a while to learn to be patient uh, throughout the race and not to just kill myself, uh, you know, by half marathon. Cause it does sneak up on you really quick. You, you feel awesome at 10 miles. You feel really good at half marathon. And then by 18, you're like, Oh wow, that was my red line. I'm over the yeah. red line. That's yeah. it. So th- yeah. that I think as long as you pace yourself and are patient, uh, you, you can definitely do it. The fitness will be there. Yeah. It's it's, I mean, I was a distance swimmer in college. So like, I'm used to the whole, like, don't like, mm-hmm. you know, we would always say don't back half it because you never know, like someone can still hang on this. It seems like a little bit different. Um, you know, obviously a mile swim is a little bit shorter than a 26.2 mile run, but it's going to, you know, kind of definitely going to feel the same type of pains in there at some point. For sure. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. You know, you definitely know it. I mean, just, just having that mindset of that, this is not one in the first quarter of the race or, or whatever piece of it just having that mindset going in you're already in in good hands there uh knowing that from your previous experience exactly exactly so all right let's get into a little bit of your day-to-day at virgin pulse i know you're on a little bit of 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 a break right now but virgin pulse was founded in 2004 as part of obviously sir richard branson's virgin group it's designed that to find technologies that cultivate good lifestyle habits for employees uh i want to start there and kind of talk a little bit about health and well-being of employees because I think obviously in this world that we're living in now, that's super important. So I guess maybe what are like the pillars of success for an employer to look at when thinking about the healthier lifestyles of their employees? Absolutely. I think a lot of the kind of innovative companies, they're really understanding that employees your goal isn't just to have an employee butt in the seat for eight hours a day. The The real value is if the person is producing value they're producing return for you and in order for them to do that they really are athletes you know and even even if you're sitting at a in an office job a desk job you need to be on your game uh from you know a a mental aspect uh physical your happiness level your mental health all of those pieces of it play into it and so from an employer's perspective it only makes sense to invest that little extra bit on top of what you're paying the employee to make sure that they are in a good mental state, a good physical state, all of those pieces, because then they're going to just add that much more value to your company, be able to work, uh, do better quality work, be able to work longer or, or not even necessarily longer, but just work better, uh, more Mm -hmm. effective as they do it. So what we are doing at Virgin Pulse is really creating uh, both the digital side of that, as well as a uh, human component of it through through coaching, through dietitians, et cetera, where when we work business to business selling to another employer, we are essentially kind of being that outsourced uh, health and well-being solution that the employer can use to track and monitor employees and help them be successful in uh, wh- whatever their individual needs are. Some some individuals need the mental health piece and de-stressing mm. and all of that. Some need to uh, work on tobacco cessation and move away from smoking cigarettes. Everyone's in a different journey. And so we're trying to create kind of this overall re- robust solution that addresses each individual employee health and well-being need that will then ultimately for the employer, if they're paying us whatever the number is, say $100 per employee, uh, they, they're getting $200 of value to their company back, uh, in return. So 
in, in our eyes, at least, we're trying to convince the empl other employers that it's a no-brainer to work with us because you're actually going to get more value out of it by making sure that your employees are happy and healthy and, uh, you know, enjoying their lives on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, and kind of going off that, that, that no-brainer of, like, this, this makes sense is still very difficult right now to get in front of corporate America as a whole. And obviously now with more of the remote work style that we're seeing, do you think it's easier or harder to kind of track the employee's well-being while they're in this remote landscape? I think we think of, I mean, just thinking about the past 17 months, like everyone has the ability to stay home and then can, can go on longer walks. And it's not, you know, you're not spending the 45 minutes in the car or maybe they're working longer hours. So they take Friday as a half day or whatever it may be. But I think just kind of looking at it from the employer side, like, do you, do you feel that corporate America feels like they're, they're like scrambling to kind of, you know, keep the chickens in the pen, I guess, for lack of a better I, term. Yeah, no, they definitely are. And the, the hard part about remote is that you can't necessarily visually see how someone is doing or visibly see, whereas when a manager and an employee is when they're, when they're together in the office, you can kind of see that a lot more. So I think it is. And, and also kind of what we've seen too is employers, if they're able to spend less money on say office space now because they have more remote employees they do have more budget potentially to spend on employee health and well-being so there is an opportunity there to kind of shift budget allocate budget to thinking more about the employee uh you know overall satisfaction you know wh wherever they're working whether they are in an office or whether they're working at home so uh it, it but it but it's extremely challenging uh to and, and from the employer's perspective it's hard to know if you this all this money that you're spending on the solution really is going to make a difference i mean it, right. it, it truly is hard and it is like a two three year thing where you know did the person stick with the company longer because they were happier did they spend less money at the hospital because they were you know exercising and taking care of their health or all of these things are kind of lagging indicators. So you're, you're, it is hard to convince someone up front that, hey, this is going to be worth it, but you're going to have to wait two to three years to really know if it was worth it or not. I was going to say the metrics and like what the return on investment is going to be a little bit more skewed towards a longer term, because to your point, like that too, like are these employees even taking advantage of these said benefits? Or are they just kind of exactly. pocketing the the gym membership and not using it or pocketing the peloton like whatever it may be you know what i mean so it's oh 100 yeah yep. it's hard to convince it's hard to convince employers to like look at it from a longer term so I, I totally can see it and like we've seen so much fitness tech out there for the personal consumer right like the, the boom of fit tech is 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 here and it's here to stay you have things like peloton like mirror even smaller things like fitbit or whoop right but all, like it's all geared towards the end consumer. It's not really geared towards like you don't. Maybe I'm wrong, but like Peloton isn't walking into every single business, being like, "We're gonna put a bike in your lobby." No, you yeah. know what I mean. But you have worked yep. with partners like Wellbeats that are were targeted towards like corporate virtual fitness type of mentality. Like, how does how do we help these types of companies get in front of that corporate vision rather than just play to the end user consumer? Yeah, it is. It is the balance of like, is it the employer's responsibility to do this? And in our eyes, yeah, it is. And it is because the from the employer's perspective, there's an absolute uh, or there's a direct cost to their employees not being healthy because they're supplying them health insurance. So so in that case, yes, it's 100 percent on the employer. But like you said, so many people who are motivated enough to, you know, 
invest in their own health and well-being, they're already getting that Peloton membership or whatever, using Strava, they got Whoop, they got all these different things. And so it's how do we activate the people that aren't already self-motivated enough to do it? And that is where it's hard because we will work with an employer and they're, you know, 30% of their employees who already are using these things will use us. And then of course they're going to do well, but it's not necessarily those folks that are the ones that are costing the company a lot of money and their health insurance right. and their health claims. And so it, it, it's extremely tough and we do work with, and that, that's why we are working more so. And, and this is really where my role comes in on the partnership side of like, I'm working with Whoop, I'm working with Wellbeats, I'm working with Aptiv, uh, hopefully Peloton in the near future, where these these top leading brands that are direct to consumer, they are recognizing the need in the business to business space as well. And they're transitioning to have a solution in that area as well. And we're kind of helping them accelerate that by uh, them getting access to all of our clients that are out there already and these employers that are you know, hungry for what the best solution is and they're doing something better in their specific category than what we would do ourselves. You know, we're not going to try to uh, us. We're not trying to compete with uh, what Wellbeats or Aptiv are doing with their workouts. You know, they're already crushed in the game in that area. So why not work together and combine forces and kind of just give this all in one solution to an employer that they can just say, yep, we pay Virgin Pulse this much money. They're handling all the behind the scenes, coordinating all these different companies and done and done. Uh, we're we're going to be good to go just working with them. Right, right. So while you're thinking about all that type of stuff, how do you find the time to run yourself? <laughs> well, I, I've learned I've learned time management uh, f- kind of forcibly over the you know the last few years. It's mm. it it is a balance. I I think working though is what what I've learned at least. So before Virgin Pulse, I and the reason I joined Virgin Pulse was I was working at a startup and we got acquired, and so there it was way more hours per week than what I was working, what I'm working now with Virgin Pulse. And really what I've learned is you do kind of have a, like someone working a hundred hours a week, isn't necessarily doing more work than someone who's working 50 hours a week. And so I think it is really about prioritizing and found finding what's the most valuable thing you can be doing with your time at any given moment. And so for me, I, I, with Virgin Pulse, I, I really don't, one, because the company culture is great, but also because I've kind of learned how to manage my time better. I'm not necessarily working crazy long hours with them, which is excellent, as well as then I've just learned myself, like running specifically, like when I'm in Chicago, it's, it's I'm up before work every single day and I'm getting it in because I never know what's going to happen during the workday and I'm not going to risk getting to 6, 7, 8 p.m. and I'm too tired from the day and I'm going to risk not being able to get out there for the run. <laughs> Just like you're going to do tonight after we're done recording, you're going to go yeah. for that run. So, yeah. um, I, and that's not to say I'm perfect. I There's so many days where I get up and maybe don't feel like it, don't do it. And I'm like, I'll do it at lunch, but then a meeting comes up and I don't do it at lunch and then it gets pushed mm-hmm. off. That 100% happens all the time. So I'm not trying to say that uh, that I do this well all the time, but that's really the the goal is to, if, if it's a priority for me, which running is a priority for me because it makes me better at my job, then I need to just make the time to do it. And usually for me, that means I, got, I just got to get my butt out of bed and do it at 6 a.m. or 7 a.m. And honestly, working remotely kind of helps a lot with that because instead of being done at 6 a.m. so I can commute into work and do that, whatever, now I can just get done running and not even shower and just kind of like wash up in the sink and be like, all right, 
8 30 a.m i'm starting and and i don't have to start nearly as early or get up nearly as early which is the one benefit of well one of one of many benefits of remote work there's also negatives but that's one of the many benefits yeah yeah you uh you you're you're preaching to the choir here i know like i should be waking up early and i i did that for the eight ten plus years of swimming and like it just kind of like especially when my swimming career ended and i still had some college time left i dropped that like you know, waking up early habit, good habit pretty quickly. And now I'm just finding myself, it's just so hard for me to get up. And like, to your point, like I will try, try, try to like find the hour or two to get that run in, especially with training for a marathon. It's a lot harder to get, you know, the time in your day. Cause it's like a two hour block rather than like yep, a 30 minute yep. block around the, you know, a run around the, the cul-de-sac, exactly. you know? So like, like for today, like I was like, okay, like I have a two hour block. I'll go get seven miles done. And then work things just keep coming up. And I was like, okay, can't do that. And then I have Chris at seven, so I can't go at five. And like all this stuff. And I was like, well, you know, like nine o'clock, gonna go have to hit the Planet Fitness and run on the treadmill for seven hours. It's just, or seven miles, seven miles. <laughs> <laughs> it's just gonna be the, just gonna be the plan today. But yeah, that's, that's kind of how these days go, especially when you're in the middle of training for this marathon. Like the distances aren't getting any shorter. So you need to find exactly. longer blocks. It, it is, t- it's extremely tough. And, and that's, that's what it is too. You, there's never going to be like a, uh, a let up in the amount of work during the day. Like there's always going to be something to do. And, yeah. and I'm, I'm someone who trying to be less of a, I guess, a perfectionist, you could say, where I know there's always work to do. There's always another, like, I could be doing that social media post, or I could be doing whatever it is, like, like for Beer Mile, I could be doing this social media post, reaching out to this person, or for work, I could be writing one more email, I could be connecting with this coworker again. And there's through if if I like let myself say I'm gonna run at lunch. There's always like oh my god my inbox is full I can't I can't run at lunch. So that's yeah the morning game is the only way that I can go out for a run like actually stress free and and not be thinking about oh my god what am I gonna come back to when I get yeah. back to this at the later. Yeah, in the I was day. gonna say even if you block out the calendar like doesn't that doesn't help you you know no, it really it really no. does <laughs> it does not. <laughs> but I wanted to touch on something because you brought it up you said running does make you better at your job. So can you kind of talk a little bit about like why specifically running makes you better at your job? It does. Uh, I think a few different reasons. One, I mean, just my overall, I think my overall happiness level, my overall uh, just mindset of things. I think that's one huge piece of it where I think everyone needs some form of stress relief, you know, in any given day, whether that's exercising, whether that's hanging out with your kids, like meeting up with someone for a drink, like whatever it is, you need something in your day. And for me, that's that thing. But I also think that distance running specifically is, and and really any endurance sport or any sport for that matter, you you get really good at the kind of the mental perseverance, pain tolerance, overcoming discomfort, focusing on one activity for a certain amount of time. And I think that that level of focus it's something that's really helped me in my job where you're, you're, you're going to go rogue, run a marathon. You're doing long runs. You're like, this is going to suck for several hours. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm going to get through it. I'm strong enough to get through it. I can, I'm just going to focus on that one thing. Nothing else matters. And that definitely applies to work as well, where like, I got to get this, whatever it is, presentation done, this report done, this, uh, whatever that thing is, you, you have to build a focus for more than two minutes at a time without going and checking Instagram. And so that, I think that those two translate, uh, 
to each other very well, where you just have to be in the zone and be in a flow state and understand that I'm, I'm focused on this one thing. When I'm done with this thing, I'll go to something else, but I got to be all in on this thing right now. So I, I think that's the main, main piece for me is just the ability to really focus on something and have that mental, uh, that ability mentally to not get distracted and uh, give up on something too easily. Yeah. And you bring up an interesting point because there's been a lot of maybe like, I don't want to say like contrary arguments to that point of being super committed right. on that one thing a hundred percent and then not focus on anything else until that task is done. A lot of people in the, in the content creating world, in the music industry and, and whatnot can talk to the fact that like, try to, you know, don't have all your eggs in one basket all the time and like, kind of like, I guess, divvy up your day, right. Get a little bit done of everything every day. So that that way, you know, it's all kind of working together. Do you see like, is there, is there a benefit to one or the other in your minds or is it kind of like to each their own and kind of find your path there? I think there is, there's certainly times where I'll do something like say I'll work on one project or one thing for whatever, 30 minutes. I can't think of, or I can't figure out where I'm going to go to finish it. And then I just sleep on it. And then I'm like, Oh, duh, it was obvious. I figured it out. So there definitely is value to that. And so I don't think it's, it's not about, like I'm going to focus on this one thing all day today. I think it's right. more like I'm going to focus on this thing until I can't, I, I'm not creative anymore in this outlet. Like I can't think of what the next thing is to do, or my brain energy is just not into this. My, my focus is not into this and right. then switch to something else. So that might just be 10 minute spurts, like 10 minutes on this, 10 minutes on that. Yeah. Uh, but, but as long as you're able to like, when you're actually doing something, not be thinking about the hundred other things you have to do and actually like work on that one thing. And that's why I, I personally just, I suck at social media. I hate social media. It's always like, that is literally my, least favorite thing to do it's like i love recording the podcast i love editing the podcast oh no i hate i hate oh no no for you okay but i like editing the the podcast no edit my podcast for me thanks no (laughs) well i mean fair enough i guess i'd rather be recording it than editing it but but the thing that the thing that i always hate is like I need to make this real to promote it. I need to make this, this graphic design to promote it. I need to post, post, post. And I don't know, that just takes me way longer than it should. And I don't have the, I don't get this, like the level of excitement out of that, that I do the other pieces of it. That's always just like the, Oh, I got to do this at the end to yeah. promote this thing. So yeah. Um, yeah. I, yeah. Social media is the tough part for me. And it's just so distracting too throughout the day. <laughs> yeah. And I will say you guys have a very good social media, the beer mile podcast and, and just beer mile in general. Like for me, it's just cutting clips of, of these interviews and posting it. And, and like, I've told myself, like we come out with episodes every Wednesday. So you obviously want to have like the Wednesday post for the episode and then yep. have a post at least what like Thursday, Friday, Monday, Tuesday, at least. And then try, you know, yeah. if you want to take the weekend, I'll take the weekend. Off. But then I realized like, I'll like tonight, I might be like, oh crap, I didn't post anything for last week's episode and I didn't do it. And it's like, ah, oh, you know, like you spent all the time cutting those clips. You spent all the time finding the clips like, and you just missed the boat. Cause now you got to go, pro- go promote the next week's episode. And it's just like, it's that, that's the stuff that struggle that I struggle with, with my Instagram on my show for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Totally understand that. And we, uh, honestly, we could do a better job too. There's some, some weeks where we don't post for an entire week. We're just like, here was today's episode. And then a week later, here was today's episode. Okay. But it's, it, it just, it varies. It, uh, my, my business partner, Adam and I, it's like, we're, we're both on our Instagram. So it's like literally just whoever gets to it, gets to it. And sometimes yeah. we both don't get to it. And so we probably could do more planning, but, uh, at this point, you know, being it's a second job, it's like, uh, it, the goal, obviously the goal is like to make it the first job, but 
uh, but until it is, it's kind of, I don't know, it's, it's in the back of both of our minds, but not like at the forefront ever. Right, right, right. It's tough. It's tough. So I want to talk a little bit more in depth about Beer Mile. I think like everyone's dying to hear specifically about this. From what I can gather, there's a couple different types of races, right? There's obviously the Beer Mile, there's the Beer Two Mile, and then a thing called a Chunder Mile. Uh, so can you kind of, like, I guess, like to start, explain the differences between the types of races when it comes to beer miling? Yeah, so the beer mile is definitely the the official, the OG yeah. race. It's the four beers, four laps, uh, and the beers are 5% ABV or above, and it can be a can or a bottle, but basically you chug one, then you run a lap, then you chug one, run a lap, and you can't do both at the same time. And then so that's that's been around for quite a long time uh and then people have made variations of it you know people I, and tons of variations that i haven't done tons of variations that are more underground but right. you could you could imagine like a seltzer mile or a wine mile or like a, a liquor mile like all these different or things. the pg version and what our track guys used to do was the do mile uh oh okay like a mountain yep. dew and like that to me just within the like obviously beer has carbonation but I don't know what it is about soda. It just feels like way more carbonation and Mountain Dew specifically just doesn't seem like a recipe for success. <laughs> yeah. Sh- sugar plus carbonation. No, that's totally true. The like uh, white claw mile, for example, is way harder than a beer mile, way more mm. carbonation. So that's absolutely true. Yeah. Soda pop mile and chocolate milk mile are the two, oh. like the two most common underager things to do. And right. I haven't done either of those. I don't know <laughs> if I really want to do either of those, but, uh, but, but in the, in Europe, uh, so the beer mile kind of originated, well, the, the exact origination isn't necessarily known, but the origination of what is now the official like world championship rules was uh, Canada. And so it's, it's more North America based versus in Europe, what is specifically the UK, what they have kind of done throughout the last uh, decade or two, at least from those who have actually uh, written down the history of it is that right. they do the Chunder mile, which okay. is out of out of pint glasses and it's an imperial pint so it's 20 ounces it's not what we have our 16 ounce pints here uh because in europe if you go to europe it very rarely can you find a 12 ounce bottle uh to drink out of so that that's kind of came from is that that is more the europe thing the beer miles more the north america thing but for the actual beer mile world championships it's all with the official official beer mile rules which is the beer mile with uh, the 12 ounce canner bottle so and the beer two miles is literally doubling that for the hell of it for for those that are willing to really kill themselves and see what will happen well you well you did that exactly and like i guess like to to i mean maybe not to sound too ridiculous but what was once basically like a background ch- a challenge that friends would do if they ran cross country in high school like oh let's get together and let's do a beer mile yeah. And has now turned into the, to your point, like this world-class type of following with competition stats, world records, et cetera, without sounding like too oblivious, because I can definitely see why people would love to do something like this. How do you think the beer mile really has caught the following that it has? That's a great, that's a great question. It's really, I think it combines two things that the, so, so you have people who are just the you know, casual social beer drinker people. And then you have you, you know, your runners. And so there's, it allows for this overlap between kind of two communities. So there, obviously there's tons of people who are runners and beer drinkers, and that's like a, a community in of itself. But then right. it's also one of those things where if I'm a, a runner and I have a non-runner friend who literally knows nothing about running, but I'm like, Hey, come to the track and like, check out, I'm going to chug four beers and run a mile. 
it's accessible because they're like, ah, oh, I understand chugging four beers. Like that's pretty crazy. Right. And so there's just this piece of it where it's like very, I don't know, it draws people in. It's very community based. It's understandable to a non runner person to be able to, uh, be entertained and watch this thing where someone's chugging four beers. And so I think that's what, that's what makes it really fun as well as then you have the runners too, who, you know, I might be a, a four minute miler and someone else might be a 10 minute miler, but maybe that 10 minute miler beats me in a beer mile. Cause I just can't hold the beers down, you know? So it, right. it also creates this fun competition within uh, a club team or a, um, a college team, whatever, whatever it is, where it's like, who, who knows who's going to come out on top of this thing. It's like a complete crap shoot. And yeah, just be, and even just because you can shotgun a beer really fast, that doesn't mean you're going to be good at the beer mile either. So right. I think it just creates this like fun, friendly competition. Uh, and, and like you said, it, it was a lot more underground. I'd say it still is pretty underground. Like there's beer miles happening all the time everywhere. And beermile.com doesn't even have, I don't even know what percent of the results we have, maybe 5%, 10%. Like, it's not like everyone's entering the results in. So right. it, it's a, like, it's one of those things that's like really big that people do it, but it's just hasn't really had like a super centralized com competition out of it. Um, and just hasn't really grown to be that bigger thing, but that's mm -hmm. where, you know, the directors that are the event organizers that organize this world championship every year that's what they're kind of playing off of is that you know a lot of people do this thing and understand this thing and we're trying to make something that's more formal and centralized out of it i was gonna say it's two of the most american things like everyone can get, <laughs> you know like everyone loves a good run or you know maybe they don't or they yeah i feel like running is like but it's only a mile right, exactly yeah. it's only a mile right and yeah. I, like yeah i'll get chug four beers that's not bad right so like right. and i love your analogy or i guess the point of like you know, someone who runs a four minute mile is going to beat someone who runs a six minute mile nine times out of 10, right? Yep. There's the, we'll, we'll throw in the one bad race, but throw in four beers and you have a whole totally different setup to the race. You have a totally different preparation for the race. So I guess that's a, a perfect transition. I, I can imagine training for an elevation marathon is a little bit different than training for a beer marathon or a beer mile, excuse me. Yeah. I feel like it might be a marathon at the end of it, but <laughs> can you talk a little bit about some of the training techniques for beer miling specifically? Yeah. So right now, so yes, absolutely. Like right now, what I'm doing is not going to be necessarily directly translatable to the beer mile. I, I think, but you know, being, out of altitude, doing a lot of miles, all that sort of stuff. I mean, I'm going to be like aerobically fitter. So maybe when I come back to sea level and start doing track work, maybe I will be better at the mile, but it is completely different. And yeah. beer, the beer milers, it's those who are competing on like the world stage. Uh, kind of everyone has figured out the fastest way to chug beer out of a bottle or a can. And so it has gotten to the point because it's become more popular that it really now is kind of down to who's the fastest runner. Okay. You know, with the beer in their stomach, because uh, I'd say the first couple of years, so the, the first formal championship was in 2014 and I wasn't a part of that. I didn't start doing it until 2015, but the first formal championship, I think it was a lot more like the winner of that was someone who wasn't like super fast. Uh, he wasn't someone who had ever run D one or anything like that, but right. he figured out how to chug the beers quicker than every, anyone else. Now I think everyone's kind of figured out that, Hey, the best way to, so to do a beer mile, I think it's kind of like a, a ch to chug well is kind of like the gating item. Like you, you just have to be able to chug a bottle or a can in like five or six seconds. And it's assuming you can do that. 
then it just comes down to who's the fastest runner. So for, for now where I'm at, it is literally just how fast can I run a mile? And the training is just getting faster at the mile. That's literally all it is because I've chugged enough beers that I can chug them at the same pace, no matter whether I take a a month off or two months off. And I know I'm not going to throw up. So that's kind of where I'm at. I just got to run faster. But I I think for someone getting new into the beer mile, it is just, you got to practice chugging water out of a bottle, chugging water out of a can. And once you can do that and like do it consistently, then you just got to be faster. (laughs) That's kind of what it comes down to. If you're trying to be elite level competitor in your stomach and go run a mile. (laughs) I mean, like, come on, you're making it sound so easy. I love it. I mean, like, so I want to get to that real quick. You brought up, like, obviously you have to be good at chugging if you want to compete at this level. You even like in war- like in your warm ups, you're chugging water out of bottles. Is that what I saw in the videos? Is that what you guys are doing? Yeah, yeah, chugging. Yeah, basically just uh, you know, say a few hours before the race or even the week week leading up to the race is like, can I put down four bottles of water in? a couple minutes because then that means I'm basically the volume in my stomach. I'm replicating it as well as I'm just practicing. How fast can I chug? Yeah. Right. Right. And so how can you compare running with four beers in your stomach to anything else? It's unique. It is unique. Mm-hmm. Um, at the, again, yeah, I, I, I say these things as if like, it, it's definitely, it's, it's a long period of, like getting used to it. I would say, I I say these things as if it's like something you can just get used to. And I was not good at the beer mile. Like the first time I did the beer mile, I wasn't like good at, I wasn't winning races. I wasn't better than anyone else. So it wasn't like I was a complete natural, a natural talent. If there is such thing at the beer mile, but the, it, it is a combo of, can I get used to having that much liquid in my stomach without throwing up? Can I, uh, run then so now i have like 48 ounces of fluid in my stomach can i run and not like have that be a deterrence to my running ability uh can i hold my breath every time i come into the chug zone and like chug for five to six seconds and get it down and yeah each of those pieces i mean it took me several years like my first world championship i went to i think i got i don't remember like second to last third to last whatever it was and so like you just get a little bit better over time because each each time you do it and it's like anything it's a skill it's the more beer miles you do, the better you're going to get at it to some extent, assuming you're mm. not like, you know, binge drinking every single day of the week, then you're just going to get worse <laughs> at it. But it is something that you just got to practice over time. So it, yeah, the, the, there, are, there are a lot of components to training that you can do to help yourself to kind of uh, get used to it. And, and running with all that fluid in the stomach, like I kind of point being here is that now I feel like I can run a quarter of 400 meter just as fast with the beer in my stomach as I can without it, because I've just gotten used to that feeling, you know, it's not, it's not as weird to me anymore. Like I can run basically my mile PR in a beer mile now because I've just gotten used to it, but it took a long time to get here. It's not like it was, it's a natural thing or, uh, you know, something that someone could do right off the bat. It definitely, it takes some patience. Yeah, definitely. And so now you, like, I feel like every beer miler has to have their favorite competing beer to drink while doing the beer mile. You've signed with blue moon. And I know that's been your favorite for quite some time. How do beer milers go about choosing their favorite? And is there really like a universally loved beer for the beer mile specifically? There isn't necessarily university loved. I would say the the main, the common two. So 
I think the first kind of when the beer mile world championship started, that's when people realized that a bottle is a little bit faster to chug out of than a can. Mm. And so before that, it was kind of just whatever, like there's tons of cans of beer that are 5%. You can literally have anything you want. Right. But then when we switched to bottles, there really aren't that many bottles that are 5% beer that are twist offs, which is <laughs> ideally what you need to go f as fast as possible. So tons of people just went to Budweiser and Bud Light Platinum. Those were the two that, I'd say 90% of people did. If you look back at the original like flow track 2014 world championships, it was like everyone was doing Bud Light Platinum pretty much. Mm -hmm. uh, I did that as well for the first few years and then started experimenting a little bit. I was like, what, what else is out there? And so Blue Moon, I'd always loved it. It was like one of my favorite, I guess you could say like cheap, expensive beers or expensive cheap beers. I don't know, kind of that yeah. middle of the ground where it's like a little bit nicer than your, your uh, typical kind of whatever loggers. And so yeah, I did Barbier. one with it. And, exactly. And, and a lot of people, I, I think I'm still the only person that really does it with blue moon because a lot of people think that the extra like sweetness, the, the orange, all that is kind of like gross, I guess, when you have four of them in you, but I personally like the taste and I, it's a little bit less carbonated than Budweiser or Bud Light Platinum is. So that's what I go with. But Every country is different then. So Canada, they have some beers in Canada that we don't have access to here. Uh, the common one there is New Amsterdam Blonde is the name of mm -hmm. one of them. And uh, apparently that's not super carbonated. It also comes in like a uh, twist off bottle, um, you know, all, all that stuff. So everyone's kind of ex has experimented to some extent, but if, if you still go to a race, uh, like an official championship race, most people are doing Budweiser, Bud Light Platinum. That still is kind of the one that is available globally. That's easy to access at this point. I was going to say, so Canada's making some PEDs, performance enhancing drinks, huh? That they are. They, honestly, if you, if you uh, take a look, anyone out there, if you take a look at the new Amsterdam blonde bottle, it's a little bit wider neck than mm. the Budweiser, Bud Light Platinum. So it comes out a little bit quicker. Uh, you know, not necessarily some, fair. Some fishy I don't know. things going on. We, we should probably call the IOC or something, whoever we need to we contact. Should. <laughs> we oh, absolutely should. That's so funny. So I guess from all of this beer miling competing, what has been like the most memorable experience? Obviously you've had some crazy experiences breaking world records, but do you have like the most memorable moment so far? Wow. I don't know if there's one, to be honest. Uh, I think... It really is. So what's, I, I think this is true for probably a lot of, I, I probably, well, I don't want to compare the beer mile of the Olympics in any way, because it's completely different, but like a lot of people who go to the Olympics, it's all about, it's not necessarily about the race. It's about the atmosphere. The, I met all these people from all these countries. Right. And I think that's what the beer mile is as well Is when there is a world championship race and I'm going to London or to Vancouver or wherever it is, you're meeting like these guys and, and gals from Australia and from Germany and like all over the world. And everyone is like united by running and love for beer and beer miling. So it's like, everyone just gets along so naturally. And so I think it really, the memory or the, the main thing for me is the, just that opportunity to meet all these people every year and reunite with some of them or meet new people who are new to the game and be somewhere internationally. And it's like, all these people have, like-minded um you know just a fun community camaraderie uh to be around and and that's definitely been like the the big fun for me you know that all the all the like the the american record the world records those have all just happened in chicago kind of myself by myself on the track and yeah that's not necessary i mean obviously it's cool but that's not like 
that wasn't like the coolest thing. The coolest thing is going to the, going to the races and getting to meet people and being a part of something a little bit bigger than just uh time trialing on the track by myself. I was going to say, we got to get you guys like a specific track too, because I've seen the videos and like some people just <laughs> pay you no mind. They're walking right through you. Yeah. There's a few people on the track that'll catch on. They'll be like, Whoa, what's going on? That's pretty cool. And then there's some other people that are like kids. If they're on the kids are on the track, they're just like scooting around or biking yeah. around. They don't. Yeah. Yeah. Chicago, not an ideal place to do it on a public track, but it's, it's a half mile from home. So it, worst case, it's a bad day. And I just walk home and I'm like, I'll go back the next day. It's not a big I love deal. That. Oh man. That's so funny. <laughs> I'm like, I, it's, I mean, I'm newer to the running game. I'm newer to the running community. Like I'm an ex swimmer. So like, I was hopeful that people would even like welcome me into the running community. But I think like that to your point, whether it's beer miling, whether it's distance runners, whether it's, you know, the casual run club, what have you, I think there is something interesting to be said about like, is running a cult, like kind of like maybe, you know, like, I think we do yeah. kind of have that like niche following of like, you know, everyone kind of has that like-minded and like, we are kind of crazy enough to continue to do this type of stuff or even like the distance running or beer miling in this example. Yeah, absolutely. Most of the, most of the people that do the beer mile are ex college runners or, you know, that they're, they're runners first, uh, yeah. versus, you know, beer, beer Jumpers. drinkers first. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know if anyone that like started in the beer drinking world and was like, man, I could chug, I'm going to start training for the mile. I don't think it really works like that. But think, yeah. so every, every, but everyone is like a part, like that like-minded piece of it, of coming from the running community, running, you know, you're, everyone's trained for a 5k race or a marathon, or you have those pieces in common already before you even go into this. And then everyone recognizes, damn, it's really hard to chug beers and run, but yeah. hell it's, it's fun. It's really yeah. fun. <laughs> yeah. So how do you think beer miling and maybe it doesn't, so you can be honest, but how do you think beer miling translates to the message that you're bringing day to day with Virgin Pulse? Like do your coworkers look at you like you're this crazy kind of person? <laughs> it, it doesn't relate extremely well, probably. Uh, I mean, so the coworkers, I don't, honestly, I don't even know how many of my coworkers know. I, I think a good chunk do, uh, but I mean, if you Google my name, then they know for sure. Right. But I, I think a good chunk do And any time that anyone's brought it up to me at work, it's always like, damn, that's so cool. Like, yeah. I want to know more about this. It's amazing. And, uh, you know, certainly like most, I mean, like most of America, but also like, you know, a lot of tech companies too. Like we definitely have our fair share of people that enjoy celebrating after work, you know, work hard, play hard, that sort of thing. And so it's not like uh beer drinking is frowned upon necessarily. Like obviously there's people that abstain from it, but uh in general, yeah, my coworkers, I'd say positive message for it. Um, but it, it's certainly not something that I would bring up in a job interview or put on my resume or bring up to uh some other company that I'm trying to work with or partner with or anything like that. If they find it, it's usually net positive or it's always been that positive at least. Yeah what they've told me to my face, but, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I don't know. I don't That's know if the there's a direct too, translation like, in this skills. Like coworkers will find it. Yeah. Yeah. Coworkers will find it. And then uh, they'll say like, Oh, it's cool. Like, Oh, you had this person on, Oh, you had this person on. And then I'm like, oh, okay, net positive, but I never know what they're saying behind, behind closed doors or, you know, in the team group chat that I'm not in. <laughs> You got, you just got to assume it's, it's net positive. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. That's what I'm going to stick with. All right. Um, so, I mean, is it weird to say, is it like too far fetched? I mean, we, we kind of joked about Canada using performance enhancing drinks and we have to go talk mm -hmm. to the IOC about it. Is it too far fetched to think beer mileing could be in the Olympics one day? Man, I, 
I don't see a clear path. And the main reason I say that is because we've, uh, we've as in people in the USA that do the beer mile, the event organizers for the beer mile world championships, myself, we like a lot of people have seeked out, can I get a beer sponsorship, you know, to be, uh, like to, to be a pro athlete in this. And the reality is in, in the beer mile right now, there's not a lot of money. There's no money in it really. Right. There's, there's like some prize money at the world championship each year, but it's not like it's a, a, a full-time thing, a career. It's absolutely nothing like that. It's something you do for fun once a year at the world championship. And so I think part of it is that so many, at least my perspective, um, all the beer companies that I had talked to in the past and that people talk to, I don't think they want to necessarily be associated with binge drinking or like what they see mm. as binge drinking, which is the beer mile. They think, oh, you're drinking four beers as fast as you can. And then you're like half the people are puking afterwards. We don't necessarily want to be associated with that. Mm. And I think until I, I don't, I don't know what it would take. Honestly, maybe it's a, I don't know, an NA beer mile. I, I don't know if that's necessarily the, because part of the, part of the excitement of it is that, oh my God, they're drinking four beers in five minutes. Like that's crazy. So I, I don't know what it would take to be honest, but I think at least from what I've seen, it seems like until a big brand like jumps in and says, we're willing to take the risk and go for it. I think all the other brands are kind of like, oh, I don't want to be the first one to be associated, potentially associated with binge drinking and be a part of this. So yeah. I, it is a balance. It's, it's not uh I don't know. It, it can be, it, the beer mile can be taken very irresponsibly if not done, uh, you know, with, with DDs, with, uh, other people who are, you know, uh, able to handle alcohol well and, you know, not be crazy afterwards, all those sorts of things. So I, I think that's probably the main deterrent where I can't necessarily see it soon, but I would love to, I would absolutely yeah. love it. I hope someday it does. Yeah. I mean, th these are tough questions, right? And like, yeah, know, I mean, anything, any sport, any activity that you associate with alcohol is going to raise red flags across exactly. the board, whether it's brands associating with it, whether it's, you know, people's ties and unties with alcohol, you know, like it, 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 it's, it's not a black and white type of market here for, for the beer. Absolutely. So, well, we we'll see. I mean, did you, did I think skateboarding would make it into the Olympics? No. And I think it's great. Did I think, you know, I mean, like men's field hockey make it no, but I think it's great. I didn't yeah. even know there was men's field hockey. So props to them. So, you know, we'll just kind of leave the door cracked open, I guess. I completely agree with you. Yeah. Rock climbing getting added as well. Like yes. all the, all these things get added over time that are niche things. And this is just another running event in track event, which already, so is there a potential? Uh, that would be, that'd be pretty cool. I would love to see it. I just don't know who would be the, uh, like the shepherd behind that. Not, not sure who on the IOC is down to chug beers, but maybe, I, I don't know if I could, if we could invite them to the world championships, one of those IOC committee guys and just, uh, or gals and say, Hey, you want to come do a beer mile? Maybe they'll, maybe they'll understand and try to pull for us a little bit. I think we need to continue American dominance in the sport. So then we can just say like, look, do we want another gold medal at the Olympics or what? And then absolutely say that at the Olympic committee it's a done deal right it is it is i'm i'm on board with that we would okay so yes. we just usa we're, we're we're naturals at this event we yes. it's a guaranteed goal every but see, there you go again time. there you go again the naturals at an event like <laughs> ooh, with, with alcohol like ooh, should we say that i don't know Oh, that's true know. it's a that's true ooh. it is a tough it is a tough line to cross yeah let me hold my tongue there it's uh <laughs> we are not naturals at the event uh it's we, we do not binge drink yes we do not binge drink but if we must have four beers in one sitting we can do it we are we can 
you know, we can stomach it. Yes. And then meanwhile, we have the Nathan's hot dog eating contest where we. Yeah, right. Okay. All right. Okay. Yes. There we go. There we go. I mean, Joey Chestnut, for all intents and purposes, is one of the best athletes of our generation, period. Exactly. The amount of training that goes into what he does is absolutely nuts. Like, I am fascinated by it. And that's where maybe it's not an Olympic event, but like, if Nathan's hot dog eating contest is the 4th of July event every year that people tune into, why isn't a beer mile? A Why aren't you guys on ESPN the Ocho? Yeah, that's, that's a concern. great question. Yeah, yeah great okay. question. Okay, so we so baby steps. We'll start with the yes. Ocho. Okay, we'll start with the. I mean, come on, spike ball. You got You can't tell me they're not having a beer after there, like there is one pro, round. there is pro cornhole like oh, bags on. on there now. I mean, come on, like have you watched that? Uh, though? Yeah. That thing is intense. It is intense. It, I'm is not saying intense. it's not good. It's very yeah. good. But like if that, that is the most niche thing ever. That's like a, just a backyard game that who would like to most people's eyes, who would take that competitively? Just right. like people would say about the beer mile, who would take that competitively? And it's like enough people that it should yeah. be on TV. That's my that. opinion. <laughs> oh yeah. Like, like going back to Joey Chestnut, we're just lucky to be alive during his time. He's a monster. Absolute monster. <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. All right. So I want to finish up the show with some uh, runners. Would you rather Gabe? We did this with Billy oh, yeah. Palladino a couple episodes back, both, both, mm-hmm. uh, both a guest on both the shows. So I'm excited to hear your answers to these questions here. And then we'll wrap up with the last question that we ask all of our guests. So we're going to start. I feel like this is a, this is a no brainer for you. Uh, would you rather run on an empty stomach or a full bladder? Oh man. I maybe surprisingly, I, I don't know. I don't know what you're thinking ahead of this, but I, I would rather run on an empty stomach. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. I mean, like that's yeah, just, to yeah. me, that just seems like the universal no brainer. Like I can't even imagine trying to run like in my mind, when I put these together, I'm like, okay, can I do a seven mile run on a full, some on an empty stomach or a full bladder? Definitely an empty stomach, not a full bladder. Exactly. And I would rather, I don't know. I don't know if this would be weird or not, but I would rather like have a full, like my stomach's just sloshing all over, whatever, full of beer, full of food. But the second that my bladder is full, like two minutes into a run, I'm like, I got to stop and pee. Yeah. I can't do this. I can't, yeah. I can't stomach it. I, no, yeah. 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 So I'm definitely the empty stomach all about it. Yeah. All right. All right. A hilly 5k or a flat marathon? Oh man. I guess it depends on what the, the stakes are or like the, the, the prize money, whatever it is, because so for like what I would enjoy more, I would love to race people on a hilly 5k. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't know. I'm just picturing like your, your local town 5k that's hilly and you go there and you run like a minute slower than your PR. And you're like, this is, this was no fun. Like this turkey sucks. Trot. You just said um, the turkey trot. The turkey trot. Yeah. So I, so I don't know, maybe, maybe not that, but Hey, if it's a hilly 5k that has, you know, some good prize money or good competition, like I, I think I would pick that, but uh but yeah, if it's, you know, typically a flat marathon is going to have more competition, more, uh, you know, opportunity to PR, all those sorts of things. So kind of depend on the situation, but I, I I'm still going to go with the hilly 5k. Cause I, okay. in, in my head, I'm, I'm a little more, I, I do like the shorter distances. I love to run fast more so than I love to run long, at least at this point. Yeah. I, and I know I haven't done it yet, so this is going to be quite the contrary answer, but I would go with the flat marathon. I, I like, I yeah. just don't love Hills enough to sprint them to get to that like to if we're going to use the same analogy like if it is for prize money i feel like i have a better shot at the flat marathon just with my aerobic background than trying to sprint it out i haven't found that leg speed yet fair enough yeah the yeah. really 5k is always going to be brutal but at least it's relatively quick 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. So on the topic of marathons, would you rather run? Okay. And I threw a third one in here because I feel like it's, it's only fair to you. Um, the New York City Marathon, the Boston Marathon, and um, C, the Chicago Marathon. Oh, well, I'm going to have to say the Chicago Marathon because I, I guess two, two reasons uh, why I would pick that. One, it's the fastest course, undeniably. It's flat. Uh, you're, wow, you're most likely that. to run your PR there. Um, it is super, super fast. Um, I've done it a few times. And then number two, yeah, hometown crowd. Like when it, a couple times I have run, there's people that I'm running in general work whatever, in different neighborhoods throughout the city. And so there's always someone cheering at some point where I get to look over and be like, oh, hey, what's up? How's it going? <laughs> um, so for those reasons, I would pick it. But secondary, uh, man, I don't know. I'm, I'm definitely gonna get lots of haters out there. I haven't done New York, so I would say New York because I just I haven't done it yet. Um, would love to do it. So New York, it is. Uh, had a really bad experience the one time I did Boston. Uh, just just didn't just didn't. It, it was a it was a super rainy day, a super cold day. I was in the tent afterwards for hypothermia, yeah. and there was no one out cheering because it was super cold and rainy. And so I think I didn't get the real experience, though. I, the real experience would be people lining the course, cheering, all of that. So, you know, I, I want – I'll put it this way. I will do all three of them again in my lifetime. Okay. Uh, but but as far as I just it, right now when I'm young I'm like all about the like how fast can I go can I qualify for the Olympic trials and if that's the main mindset I'm going for then it's got to be Chicago. Okay, because I almost had to edit all that out because we're <laughs> we're a Boston based podcast. And I know, I know. That's why I was York. like, I mean, this is controversial. I gave, you, I gave you Chicago to just say it so that you didn't pick New York over Boston, and you just you totally failed that test. <laughs> I, I, I knew it was coming too. I've listened to the podcast enough that I knew, yeah, I, I knew what I was getting myself into, but I definitely need to go back to Boston, hopefully better weather. And I'm sure it will be a million times what it was when I did it, when there was no one out cheering and I had a miserable race. And it, it's a toss up. I mean, like, I'm not going to beat around the bush. Like new England in April is a, is a toss up. It's, it's tough. You know, it, it could be 90 degrees too. It could be the opposite. Terrible. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it could be bad. And, and Millie and I had the hottest take in all of Boston sports and saying that Heartbreak Hill isn't that bad. Um, it's not. I, that, that was the one piece that came and went, and I was like, oh, that was that was it. That, that, yeah. yeah, so th that was not it. It was just the accumulation of the – just the accumulation over the course of the race that really got to me. It wasn't that one that one hill that was the deal breaker. And, and don't get me wrong. I can see why people bow out there. It's mile 22. It is a pretty steep incline. But I don't know. That's like that mental toughness. You, got, you just got to do it. I don't know. You're but, so close to that point. Yeah. yeah. For someone that hasn't ran it, we got some, Millie and I both got some flack for that, but we're going to continue with that hot take. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll join in here. I'll, I'll stand strong with both of you. All right. <laughs> All right. We got another one. Team, team Heartbreak Hill isn't that bad. Okay, cool. <laughs> so would you, would you rather, now this is, this is also a, a kind of a like, I feel like very much your own style. Um, and kind of deciding your own type of thing, but would you run as much as you want on a treadmill or only be able to run once a week outside? I, I would do as much as I want on a treadmill as yeah. painful as it would be. I I'm, I'm actually not super against 
the treadmill. I, I run on it a couple times a week in the winter, just when it's a super icy, snowy, or I'm feeling like I don't want to go out at 6 a.m. into the freezing cold. So I, I'm not a treadmill hater. I'm not one of those people that's like, I can never run a treadmill. I've I've learned to figure out ways to distract myself or enjoy it over time. So yeah, no, I'll, I'll take the treadmill. That I'm not going to get fit enough running one day a week. That's not going to work for me. <laughs> yeah, I'm the same way. I, I, I like Honestly, even in the summer this year, I was finding myself more often on the treadmill than the than outside, mainly because of the Boston humidity, but also like allergy season is tough. Yeah. So I was just like, you True. know, like got to do the seven miles on the treadmill, I guess. And I've just come up with bomb playlists or games on the treadmill, like different tempos and stuff. So you, you, you figure it out. It's not bad. Exactly. No, I'm with yeah. you between music or like watching something on TV and you can have like several distractions at once going. Yeah. So yeah, you, they're, you just got to find what works for you. And there's, there's something that will work. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Would you rather, uh, this is, here's a good one. Cause you're doing it a lot right now. Trail or road. Definitely trail. Yeah. I'm wow. loving the trail lately. I, I like the part of me likes the chasing a personal best time, which would be road, but right. no, I think the, what I've, I, I've kind of always thought this like runs seem to go by, faster and are more enjoyable when you're just exploring and you have the mindset of, I'm just going to explore this trail. I don't care about pace, whatever the pace is it is. And I've definitely just added to that this summer and really enjoyed the thought of like this trail probably will be like roughly 12 miles. I don't know how steep it's going to be. Like maybe that'll be an hour and a half. Maybe that'll be two hours, but I'm going to explore. I'm going to check it out along the way. It's going to be enjoyable. So no, I'm, I think I'm, I think I'm a trail gang now, especially okay. after the summer. All right, there we go. We've you've you've converted, I guess. <laughs> I have, I have. I love, it. I love it. All right, the last one here is is a new one that we put in because we we brought it up with uh, Lydia Keating a couple episodes back because she's she's more on the the novice running side with me, but she's gained this giant TikTok following when doing yep. when talking about her running. So, would you rather run in the freezing cold? Now, I'm talking like ten degrees. You know, okay. you don't have to factor in wind chill or anything like that. And it's not, there's not snow on the ground. We're, just, we're doing simply degrees, 10 degrees. Okay. okay? Or 88 degrees in like a hundred percent humidity. Wow. Uh, I, w I would say if I'm, so I'm, I'm going to net net go with the cold. Uh, okay, yeah. because just from a performance standpoint, like there, you cannot run your best time in hot and you can dress to prepare for the cold, but you cannot dress to prepare for the hot. So mm. what I would, what I would say is for like some easy runs, uh, I would enjoy the hot and just whatever going out jogging along. That's totally fine. I enjoy the hot weather, but, but yeah, if you're trying to run fast or, um, you know, not kill yourself, if you're trying to actually make it 20 miles or 26 miles, then yes, yeah, it just has to be the cold. It has yeah. to be. Yeah. Like, uh, that's such a good, like nothing's better than a good sweat and you don't really feel yep. the, the sweat. You are sweating, but you don't feel it when it's 10 degrees out. Cause it's all just frozen to your face in the first place, but <laughs> there is nothing better than like feeling the sweat when it's hot out. But when you're trying to go 13, 14 miles, trust me by like mile six, you're like, I'm so over this. I was running yeah. in, uh, where was I? Weymouth, Massachusetts this past weekend. And it like it was ten thirty. It was I was late getting started. It was not I was not happy about it. And I was running on like their main street, you know, like the quintessential main street, New England. And they just paved the road, and they also paved the sidewalk, which was nice. So it was pavement, not not concrete. So I was like happy about that. But just the heat coming off the pavement 
and the humidity and just me just being like this is this sucks that was horrible <laughs> i was supposed to run 13 it's, i barely got to eight it was bad it was bad it's it's crazy how when it's hot how quickly you can go from like okay i'm i'm okay to yeah. just like i literally can't do this anymore it it yeah. happens so quickly in those especially in the long runs it's like you can't i don't know you can't overcome it unless you just keep doing it and doing it and doing it and that's yeah. it's not fun to keep doing it and doing it and doing it <laughs> no and like dude, that was exactly where i was at i was like first 4 miles i was 824 i was like oh this is a great like this is exactly the pace i want to do like if i can do this for the 13 i'm great this is good and no but it was not happening not happening (laughs) brutal it was brutal all right well that was fun we do have one final question for you before we wrap up we ask it for all of our guests and if you've heard the show you kind of know what's coming for you here if you were to write your autobiography today and obviously you have a lot left to do but what would be the title of it and why this is great. I yeah, have listened enough to have thought about this ahead of time. So this isn't off the cuff because I did not want to I did not want to come into this. I never go into something unprepared. <laughs> did not want to come into this and be like, what am I going to say? Because I would have been terrible because I, I spent some time thinking about this. So okay. the, the first thing that came to my mind. Uh, so I talk I, I talked this over with my wife. Uh, yes. I was like, what am I going to wow, say? This was this? a lot. This was a lot for this, this question. This was a lot. Uh, the first thing that came to my mind was like, I, whatever, what am I known for? Beer miling, running, uh, I don't know, whatever else. So the first thing that came to my mind was everything is better with beer. But then I was thinking, well, really, it's just running that's better with beer. It's not necessarily everything that's better with beer. I don't want to say that, you know, going to work with beer in your system is a good thing because it's not. Uh, right. So that was axed. Um, so <laughs> So it's going to be a quote that I say probably more than I should. Um, and I can't remember where I heard this first. It's definitely not my quote. I heard it from someone way back when. But the quote is, and we'll we'll say that it's the title of the book, even though it would definitely get copyright infringement or something, and I wouldn't be able to use it. But it's whether you think you can or think you can't, you're right. And I I, I think that that plays well into the mindset of just try new things, just don't set expectations or limit limitations rather on yourself before you do something like, as you know, starting a podcast, for example, there's, there's millions of podcasts out there. Well, I don't know the exact number, millions, hundreds of thousands, whatever there is. So it's like, why would, why would I start a podcast in 2020 thinking that I'm going to get more listens or be different than all these other options that are out there? Another running podcast, who cares? But if you have that mindset, then you're right. Yeah. Nobody will care, but you got to dive in and just go for it and think that you can do it because if you don't try, you'll never know. And, and I think that's true with everything that I've done, beer miling, whatever career, uh, running in general, like looking another example of that would be looking at the world record for the beer mile, Corey Belmore. He runs a four flat mile during the beer mile, uh, way faster than me on the track, but I don't go into it with the mindset of, I, Oh, I could never beat Corey. Like I have no chance because if I had done that, then I wouldn't keep improving and I would have quit a long time ago. So it's really, how can I do that? Like if he can do it, like, why is he more special than me? Why can't I, if I train hard and do this, why can't I run a four flat mile? Like I can do that. So it really, I I think it's just a mindset thing. And uh, it's certainly something that I probably say more than I should. It's like, I kind of use it jokingly with my wife as like when, when we're both like, 
in a pessimistic or cynical state and we're like, oh God, this sucks. I'm always like, oh, whether you think you can or think you can't, you're right. And it's yeah. like kind of like an annoying thing to be said. But I, I think it, I don't know. I think it holds a lot of value too that you just, uh, you should go for it. Like worst case you fail nine times out of 10, that one thing that you didn't fail on is going to be pretty solid and, and worth worth giving it a go. That was an incredible answer. Obviously well-prepared and I <laughs> give you all the credit. That was unbelievable. I love that quote. And I bet you, your wife is at the point where if you're in that situation where you're about to say it, she probably already mouths it back to you before you even get it. Oh, right. Oh, she, she knows it's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she knows it's going to happen. <laughs> that is like, awesome. That we're going to awesome. do that. We're going to do this anyway. So just whatever, let's just be positive about it. We're going to, we're going to do it regardless. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. I mean, th- you just bring up such good points in that too. Like I always tell the story of starting this podcast. Like, yeah, I mean, I know there are hundreds of thousands of podcasts and it is oversaturated and especially an interviewing show. Like what, the, like, come on, really? Like you right. think you're the next Joe Rogan, you think you're the next Dak Shepard. And I say, absolutely not, but I am Jared. And it does like, I've, I started the show with like the calling card of like, I'm just the normal guy with the lazy eye getting to talk with people with cooler stories. But now it's even like, I can have these conversations with cooler people or with interesting people. It doesn't matter that I don't have a blue check mark. It doesn't matter that I don't have tens of thousands of followers. Like everyone can resonate with an Olympian, with a beer miler, with a, with an athlete, whatever. Like it doesn't matter. Like there are stories that can be told that can resonate with people regardless of trade, you know, passion, what have you. That's exactly right. The biggest podcast out there, Joe Rogan, he's not interviewing the up and comers, the people that aren't, haven't made it yet, which those people deserve to have their stories told as well, just like you do as the host, et cetera. So no, there's a, there's a market for everything. And even if only a hundred people listen to it, it's, it's worth it. Cause to those hundred people, maybe it makes that big difference in their life where they do go out and they're like, man, I can go qualify for Boston in the marathon. I'm going to go do it. And maybe they wouldn't have done it without the podcast. So I think it's, yeah, I think it's important just to, whatever you're passionate about, just go for it. Like, why not? Nothing hurt. And worst case, it doesn't work out. No one listens to it, whatever. You can try something else. It's yeah. yeah. You're not, you're not going to be any less, uh, and and you're going to learn along the way too, obviously. Uh, You don't, yeah, you don't really don't know unless you try. And I think every opportunity that I've ever had in life is like serendipity straight up, just, knew someone who knew someone or were at the right place at the right time. And that's kind of how the opportunities come up. So I'm I'm kind of like becoming more of a, yes, yes, I'll meet you. Yes, I'll do this. Yes, I'll do this. Because one of these things is going to be the thing that's like the next big thing uh, for me. That's where I'm at too. I'm just, I like, I know the the yes man mentality can kind of steer people the wrong way. And like people get afraid Mm -hmm. of that term, but like right now, I mean, I'm, almost 24 i'm still 23 like i still have so much to do so why not you know like what's the worst that could happen absolutely you have no idea where your life's gonna go but uh, yeah but tomorrow i have no clue what's gonna happen tomorrow but that's the excitement of it that's exactly yeah you you might have the biggest opportunity of your life tomorrow and you you wouldn't know unless you said yes to something so yeah Perfect. Well, Chris, this has been an absolute blast. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It was so exciting to get to connect with you. And I hope the next time you run Boston, you you run it with with the love of the city that you have. Please say that here on the podcast so that we don't get canceled. No, I'm just kidding. Thank you so much. It's been a blast. I hope you do. I wish you the best of luck with Pikes uh, with Pikes Pikes Peak. Right? Is that right? Yep. For some reason, I just forgot it all of a sudden. But best of luck. <laughs> you got this, and uh, we'll definitely catch up soon. Oh, pleasure's all mine. Thanks for having me on. It's been a joy and love love what you're doing with the podcast. Keep it up.
uh, you know, you, you definitely can. So keep going and don't, don't give up on it. And thank you, man. Yeah, thank thanks. You. I will, I will be in Boston at some point and I will absolutely high five everyone and enjoy the city. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. You're saving my career. <laughs> All right. We'll talk soon. So a big thank you to Chris Robertson for coming on this week's show and sharing more about his story, his passion for beer miling, his incredible job over at Virgin Pulse and everything in between. I can report that Chris did finish in the top 10 overall over at the Pikes Peak Marathon. So congrats to Chris there. He's back in Chicago full time with Virgin Poles and still training for the beer mile. Chris is an incredible individual. And again, I thank him so much for coming on this week's show. Be sure to go follow him on Instagram. Follow the Beer Mile podcast. We'll drop all things Chris in the description of this week's podcast for you to go check out. As you guys may have known, we did release some very sweet, very stylish uh, Normal Guy Lazy Eye merch. So head on over to our brand new merch store, link in our Instagram, and I'll leave it in the description of this week's podcast as well, to go check out the very hot and exclusive Normal Guy Lazy Eye merch. Feel free to follow us on Instagram for clips to, for your favorite interviews. And that does it for this week, and I will see you all next week. Wednesday.